the Driven Women's Guide to Love, Life, and Business. Hosted by the boss ladies Alex and Gabby. Combined, their network gathers an array of women from various industries who exemplify strength and tenacity. Their fun and positive approach to life will awaken the boss in you. You're listening to Girls Gone Boss. Originally from the Dominican Republic, Julie Baez is an up-and-coming comedian from Miami. She began doing open mics at local comedy venues like the Miami Improv and within just a few years has won several local comedy competitions. Before the pandemic, you could see her in the comedy circuit in clubs around South Florida, Los Angeles, Atlanta, and New York City. Recently, she has worked with Alex Raimundo, original Latin Kings of Comedy, Donald Rollins from The Chappelle Show, Aida Rodriguez from Last Comic Standing, Carlos Mencia, and recently opened up for Tiffany Haddish from Girls Trip. And here we are, another episode of Girls Gone Boss. So excited. Um, it's kind of out of the norm. We're, we're taping outside of our normal schedule. But we had to do it because we have been looking for this woman for the podcast for such a long time that we had to accommodate whatever she wanted, whatever time, you get it. Okay. <laughs> She's a busy woman to get a hold of. He is. And we were dying to just to get her on the podcast. She's somebody who is dear to me. I mean, I've known her since we were in elementary school. Um, and it's a joy to have her on the podcast to tell her story, especially on her perspective as a comedian, which we know that space isn't so filled. It's not that much filled with women. So it's good to get her perspective and then just to learn about her journey, because I know it has not been easy. So welcome to the show, Julie Baez. Yes. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. Girls Gone Boss, Gabby, Alex. Thank you so much for finally having me. You've been so patient. You make me feel like a superstar. I appreciate that. You are <laughs> so a superstar. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm really happy to be here. And, um, you know, it's it's a good time because it's a time where women and more than ever are, are being listened to. So I appreciate being on your show. Uh, well, thank you for being here. And I'm sure the, you know, the listeners are going to enjoy to learn more about you, especially maybe there is out there. One of our listeners is an aspiring comedian and you may just give her that umph to go for it, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, before we go, I guess before you start asking me real questions about my career, but um, just as a girl, you know, you're one of my closest friends since elementary. We were just little kids, little girls playing dress up, but just growing up in an environment with like really positive friends and girlfriend bond, like that sisterhood thing is really important. Even if you don't have like real sisters, it's important to have some kind of bond with another female person um, or LGBTQRXTWT, whatever, you know, so just have a bond with another human being. And I think now more than ever, like I said, especially with pandemic, people are kind of like distancing themselves too much socially uh, and vice versa. But, um, you know, I started comedy because I was looking for um, a way to bond and find a group of sisters, kind of like a sorority, you know, um, of women comedians. So that's kind of how I landed here. I don't know. I don't know how I got here. I just got here because somebody said I was funny. I think you said I was funny one day. I think well, I want to take it back to when we were little girls. Literally, I've known Julie for... I don't know. Years. Don't say it. <laughs> yeah, we're not dating ourselves. But 
And literally, she, Alex, she had like the best, funnest house to go. She was like our richest friend. We always say that. <laughs> And I am the now. now I'm in Hialeah, so nothing, no progress here. <laughs> um, so she was our richest friend. She had this beautiful home that we would all want to just go and hang out because, first of all, her mom would let her order any type of food, anything. Like, we were like, oh, we want pizza. We would order pizza. And then during that time, do you remember the box? Of course. How can I forget? Well, the jukebox was a music video channel that would run music videos and you would pay like $5.99 a music video. But by the time you would order your music video, it'd be five hours later and we would be passed out. And then finally the music video would be like, pop that pussy. Yeah, yeah, pop that pussy. You know, some crazy 90s hip hop music. Um, yes. And her house was the only house that her mom gave her an unlimited budget for the box. So we were like, oh. It doesn't work that way. It's called chores. Okay, it's called cleaning your house, and you get a little budget. <laughs> so. She had the most comfortable bed and comforter, and she had this humidifier. That during that time, we were like, "Wow, this is like, so what is it?" You were over ahead shit. of your times with the humidifier. I really was. I really was. I really was. So then we know we we still stay friends, and look at her now. I mean, I I just never knew back then, Julie, that you wanted to go into acting or like comedian or that entertainment realm. Which is it's great because I found out till we reunited again, and I we went to the improv actually. Remember? And then you started to tell me about like yeah yeah. As a matter of fact, I do. I invited you to a night that I was like, what do you think about me going up there? Uh, and again, my girlfriend's validation was important for me because it was like, you know, although we separated during those college years and we rekindled after high school and college days, um, you know, your your dreams and your you know childhood you know goals kind of come back at you every so often, and it was kind of like something that just fell on my lap. To be honest, it was more of like uh, an escape, I would say, to talk about daily things that were happening to me or, you know, the, especially the, my depression after having my baby, my second child. Uh, a lot of moms go through postpartum depression, things like that. So I literally got up on Mother's Day shortly after that night. You and I went out, Gabby. Uh, and I was like, that's it. Screw these kids, you know, <laughs> and I went up there. That was my first joke was making fun of being a mom and being afraid of being a mom and um, knowing that I'm going to be a mom to these children and my life is a disaster and, you know, whatever it was. And a lot of people could relate to not even being a mom, but just having expectations. And when you get to that age, you're like, wait, I'm still not there or whatever. So. I don't know. I just fell on my lap talking about real life things. And at, in the end, people laughed about it. They laughed about my my miserable life. <laughs> so, <laughs> to be frank about it. But in the midst of comedy, I realized, what am I doing? Is this really what I went to school for? Like, I went to school for broadcasting and journalism. I think you did too, right? Um I didn't finish because of my own personal um, issues with my family. Uh, my mom, after being very rich, <laughs> we were very homeless and very poor so for, a, for a very short time in my life. And I didn't talk about it um, because it was kind of humiliating. And like, you know, you, you, you had this lifestyle of no budget and, you know, ordering extravagant dishes and cuisine to very limited lifestyle. But in that tragedy and in that 
pain came laughter and it's part of life. And, and I think that's what kept me sane. Like, honestly, there are people who go to church and they're, you know, amen to that. But I, I, my church was the stage and that's where I found like, uh, like my temple, like my, my place to, to speak and have a voice. So I don't know. It just fell on me and people would laugh and, Ultimately, now where I, where do I see comedy? I don't know why I'm here. I don't. I sometimes I wonder why am I here? <laughs> like oh, maybe I sh- no, but like you know, I, I every time Cabby would say let's do this interview, I'm like I don't know. You get like executive producers and you know like all these fancy people, and I'm just an artist in the street that performs in dark rooms <laughs> with strangers. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing special. I um, no, but but that's exactly what we do. We we don't want to just have the executive producers. We don't want to just have those people that feel like that's it. I've already come to the place that I've been working towards. We want to talk to the people in the nitty gritty of the journey, you know, because yeah. it's not easy. And we want to let people know how, you know, you got to keep working and there's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days and you just got to keep going. What I like, though. Julius, that you found this calling in your like way later in your life, right? It wasn't like a calling that came from an early age, something that you found later on after going to school and or not finishing school. I didn't finish school, so don't worry. I also went to school for broadcasting. Um, and then moving on to, you know, getting married, having kids, like just going through all these life um, things that you're expected to go through. And then it's when you found your calling. There's something very yeah. admirable about that. And that's what we want to learn about. Yeah. Thank you so much for interpreting that the way I wanted to say it. (laughs) Um, But you're right. I mean, I was a writer. I used to always wanted to be an author or writer. I even started doing children's books when I had my first son. Things were very funny with my kids. Um, You know, my mom was hilarious. Um, if you remember, Gabby, she just was so fine. She was full of life and just really carefree, um, ir- irresponsible. Um, so <laughs> so uh, she was just a, a riot. So shortly after comedy, in the beginning stages, like I know it was kind of like baby steps because there's a pecking order like in everything in every career. And women weren't given, like, very open opportunities, um, especially when I started seven years ago. I think there was probably four women in comedy uh, in South Florida. And I'm talking West Palm to Key West. And then I started noticing, like, wait, why am I the only girl out here at a bar (laughs) with strangers late at night on a Monday or whatever? And it just seemed like it was very um, divided. And, um, you know, eventually you, you know, you get scared because you're alone at bars and you have to walk to the car by yourself in downtown Miami. Um, and it just felt like an unsafe area for me, but I wanted to continue doing comedy. Um, not that I, I felt any harm or anything, but then all of a sudden me too came out and all this me too with comedians from Bill Cosby to the other guy, Louis, um, Louis, uh, what's his name? Um, whatever. Um, yes, that, that guy (laughs) and all these women, Louis C.K. And then all these guys, you know, just took advantage of a lot of entertainers and a lot of women comedians and, and male comedians. So I, I kind of decided to be like, not like a, like the matriarch of women in comedy, but more like a mommy or a sister to a lot of the younger girls coming in. So funny and pink started, you know, at a bar, 
<laughs> a couple bottles of wine or whatever. And then we just started encouraging more girls to get on stage. You know, uh, the, 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 the formality of women in comedy finally arrived and Amy Schumer, the Whitney Cummings, um, and now there's just like, you know, a parade of women in comedy. So, and we know when we were young, it was what, Ellen, Rosie O'Donnell, uh, Whoopi Goldberg. So, yeah. Right? That's probably the top three in our age group. And one person came to me, I did this contest in South Miami at an underground club called Artistic Vibes where I first started. And very underground, home of the local artists that's actually their motto and you feel really comfortable there there's you know kumbaya love type of environment but i didn't win this contest and i didn't understand why and and i was i had the most laughs i had the most screams and this is the very beginning i almost quit and it almost felt like the the environment did not want women to win you know what i mean um I was like sitting in my car, like, why wasn't I good enough? And then my friend came out. He says, Julie, right now for women, you either have to be ugly, fat, or lesbian. And I'm like, I'm one of those. I'm ugly. I'm fat or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, I kind of like accepted that I couldn't be, you know, cute or can't wear pink and you can't, you know what I mean? And you can't be girly. And I was like, no, screw that. And then again, I, I embraced it more, being more girly, more pink pink everywhere you know like even though purple is my favorite color but it was just like I had to like yeah I wanted to make a point you're not gonna shut us up and and that was the beginning of funny and pink and now we have a girls about 21 girls that we work you know we rotate shows and we provide that platform professional safe environment and ultimately give them more exposure to get better performances and paid gigs ultimately paid gigs because a lot of these venues don't want to pay women or don't pay them as equal as a local headliner or, you know what I mean? So it's a lot of, it's a lot of work, a lot of doors to push, but, um, I see a big future, uh, in my comedy career. I do. I love it because it's kind of like a safe haven for women in comedy. Absolutely. You realize that you had to go through it by yourself and you didn't really have anybody to like support you. I love that you're giving back in that sense to those coming up. Yeah. And then people come up to me and say, well, Jules, that's really humble of you to do that. And I'm like, you know, this is a big world. It's okay to share it. You know, um, yeah, it's okay to be competitive too. I, I want to win. I, everybody wants to be a winner. But I think that if we all collaborate better and, you know, if we open the doors for each other, it won't be so, so hostile for when we get on stage. Um, we're more respected. We're more... Uh, given more opportunities and ultimately I mean you would go to a show and I'd be the only girl there 17 guys swear to god that's intimidating for some people and you know 17 guys and there comes a female and the guy would say oh coming up to the stage this chick and I'm like oh no I'm not a chick I'm a comedian uh or this bitch coming up like just really derogative comments that ultimately try to deprive you of your value in your career so that's so what funny. Kind of like check them a little bit and educate the men. No, no, I just go up on stage and I'm like, what's wrong? You, you're my dick's bigger than yours. You know, just make it feel worse, <laughs> oh, whatever. Because that's what it is. They're intimidated by women with power or women with a voice. Um, and you know, little by little, it stopped. But a lot of girls have come to me and say, "Thank you, man. You know, I went to this show and 
couple months back, I didn't want to come back because I wasn't accepted or I wasn't retreated right or I would call the bitch on stage. I mean, really aggressive stuff and harassing also. You know, it's come sexually harassing someone, if you think about it, in a workplace. Even though we're stand-up comedians, it's still a workplace. Wow. I didn't know it was like that. I mean, I knew it was not that many women in comedy, but like the harassment part and then just, just the feeling of, uh, of of fear, you know. Just well, and not really fear. Might maybe more just like deprive, like devaluing someone of their qualities. A lot of professional clubs, you know, even in LA, don't think women are funny or don't book women headliners. Um, that's just a struggle that we all have to go through. Still, um, again, uh, the stereotype is you have to be in a male type environment, like a lesbian or something like that to get that kind of clientele, which is not true. I'll tell you a story about Ellen real quick, where she talked about it when she lived in New Orleans. She used to go to this club every weekend, every weekend. Nobody would give her the chance. She was the only chick there, right? And then one day, the comic that was supposed to perform didn't show up. And the owner's like, all right, Blondie. She had her long, long hair at that time. She hadn't come out. And um, he's like, hey, Blondie, you want to go up there? She goes up there. She kills it. He's like, all right, come back tomorrow. He pays her on a hamburger. And she's like, man, I've never been paid anything before. But she was so happy she was eating a hamburger and not chips from the bar or something. And um, she came the next week and the next week and after that. And finally, she got discovered. But that that story was that she came back to that club for six years before they were like, all right, Blondie, get up there. And that's exactly what he called her, Blondie. Uh, and again, it's almost like, you know, putting yeah, down in the sense, you know, yeah. all right, sweetheart, all right, toots, you know, type of environment. But why do you think that is, though? Why do you think that we're not, or women are not taken as serious as men? Because even for mainstream, right, whenever I watch the roast on Comedy Central, and it's mostly the men pa male panel, and then there's very few women. And the jokes are always about the women being sluts, whores, getting gang banged. Right. Like, their jokes are always the same shit. Like, sure. they only have one type of comedy when it comes to putting women down. Why Why is that? And you know who I love about that? Who calls that? I love how you called that. Lisa Lampanelli. She calls them out. She's like, good. What? You only got a dick jokes and you only got these kind of jokes. Because, again, it's almost like you're depriving women that they're only good for sex. Or they're only good in a sexual way. I actually did a show in Broward County. And after the show, there was a bikini contest. And then a rock concert. And it was an awesome show. I got paid a lot of money for that show. And as I'm on stage, people are like, bring the chicks out. <laughs> you know, like, come on, we'll see some tits. You know, it was like a wet, it was a wet t-shirt concert uh, contest. And I was like, oh my God, man, I'm trying to do these jokes. Oh, right, take your shirt off. You know, I was like, why am I being part of this wet t-shirt contest thing? Um and then somebody actually emailed the venue and said, this was the stupidest event I've ever been to. I can't see sex and comedy working or something in those terms. This is ridiculous. Something, something. Uh, and shortly after the gig was like up, <laughs> they continued with the wet t-shirt concert contest because they brought more venue to the patrons and the venue, you know, whatever. But, um, I mean, I think that it's just the way society has put women. If you look on social media, it's all about beauty and beauty and makeup and ass and this and, you know, what 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 looks you got. Um, 
And I remember when I first started comedy, I was I was wearing heels, decked out like I was going to a club, like decked out, you know, dressed, <laughs> you know, my hair straight. And people were like, where the fuck are you going? I'm like, to do my show. And they're like, yeah, you need to wear sneakers, jeans and a T-shirt. That's a comedian's uniform. And again, the uniform, the stereotype, I just had to break through it. I was like, no, we're going to wear fucking heels and we're going to put lipstick on things. <laughs> um, and and it's OK, because you, people don't like that. People don't like change. People don't like anything different. And, and I honestly believe that it's just a norm, like what it's expected. And I think back to Carol Burnett. She wasn't pretty. She was not pretty at all. But then you think Lucille Ball. Oh, okay. So two different types of comedians, right? Both of them hilarious characters, improv, stand-up. Both of them did amazing things for the comedy scene for women. But if you look like sad side by side, Carol Burnett would probably get more respect just because she was uglier. Does that make sense? Yeah. Como la linda, la linda, you can't be pretty. You can't be cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and Lucille Ball was, oh, she's a pretty, you know, redhead, you know, but they were both so, as imperative yeah. to our comedy uh, scene. Well, I, I want to get into the fact that do you also get censored in what you talk about as a woman? Do they like, oh, maybe you shouldn't talk about this or shouldn't talk about that? Or obviously we're, you're free to talk about anything. I mean, I think back to like my career, um, objective was journalism and broadcasting was because of the freedom of the press. Like I actually thought one day I would work under, you know, the white house in the newsroom or uh, CNN or, uh, you know, political science major, but it didn't work out that way. It was just very boring for me. It was very sad. And you were and there in politics. You are censored uh, and working for a newspaper, you would be censored. And working for a magazine publishing company, you would be censored. We're in comedy. Freedom of speech. <laughs> you know, nowadays, we might be a little bit more sensitive with with the jokes. Um, you know, some comedians now are scrutinized for things they said in 1987. You know what I mean? I mean, that's ridiculous. But it is a little bit more sensitive now, and I get that. Um, if someone is trying to censor me, okay, so I had to show, they said clean comedy. Now, clean comedy is no bad words. Yes, you'll get more gigs. Yes, you look more professional. Yes, you'll go on late night shows with Jay Leno's and the Conan O'Brien's. But then I think, damn, you know, they're going to try to censor me. You know what I mean? And if I want to fucking curse right now, because I'm having a bad fucking day, I'm going to fucking curse right now. You know, not to sound perverse and vulgar, but this is the style of comedy I'm working on right now. And most comedians like Eddie Murphy and, and even, you know, a lot of comedians were dirty and then eventually they transitioned to a clean, family-friendly environment. Uh, but Rodney Dangerfield, one of my favorites, you know, he would say, oh, I get no respect. You know, he would talk about bitches and hoes. And I loved it. I, I was like, this guy, I want to be just like this guy. <laughs> you know, I love that guy. There was a Spanish-Cuban guy here in Miami called, um, oh my God, um, he would say, no, what was his name? Um... Oh, God, he was on the radio. He talks a lot about politics in Cuba. It'll come to me later. But again, he was not censored and the radio still aired him. Um, I had that show and they said, Julie, clean comedy only. And I went up there. I'm like, man, fuck this. And the whole crowd started laughing and I just blew it up. And then obviously they asked me to come back. Thank God. (laughs) 
but I was the only one who got away with it. Everybody is like, Julie just said fuck at a church. It was at a church. Oh my God. He's <laughs> in the church. And then I had a joke about like a pastor doing some kind of ailment to a child or something. Clearly, <laughs> like, you know, it wasn't this church, guys. Don't worry. And, and again, I talk about real shit, you know. Um, you do. I've been to her shows and she just keeps her 100. How do you prepare? Okay, I, I'm going to tell you something. When I lived in LA, I won a chance to um, go for like a little bit of a boot camp, like a comedian boot camp at the place. I that remember. I, I remember you told me. Yes. Yes. What was that place called in um, Burbank? Yeah. Flappers. Tappers. Flappers. 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 It's really hard to be a comedian. Mm. How the hell? There is a structure to the jokes. There's like you have to get to the punchline. There's a there's a structure to joke, no? Yeah, I mean, do you obviously you want, if you're not sure if you're not funny or not, <laughs> like if you're saying something and no one's laughing, you know, maybe it's not a good choice. But uh, there's definitely opportunities to learn the structures of it. I took some classes at the improv. Uh, just showing you the ifs and don'ts. There's plenty of books. Of, a lot of writers have written and comedians to give you. But again, it's something that comes in when you're there. Like really? some days you're going to be funny. Some days, some, some nights you're doing the same jokes. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and they all hit different. Um, it's just it's just that vibe that you project on stage. Really, that confidence you give. Um, and you work the room too, like you kind of gauge the room. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've I've tried to be open to all types of audiences. I try not to minimize my availability to an audience. Like, oh, I only do urban rooms, or I only do Hispanic rooms, or I only I don't want to do white rooms. That's just ridiculous. Um, I think Jerry Seinfeld once said, if you're a real comedian, you should be able to market general audience across the board. So that's really hard. That's probably the hardest thing is to make jokes not to be offensive to a singular group or anything like that. But mentally, how I prepare, I pray. <laughs> I sometimes throw up, depending if I ate or not that day. <laughs> like, um, it's like an acid. Re it's not butterflies. It's like an ulcer. You know, it's like an, it's not stage fright. It's like literally an ulcer that just builds up and then it doesn't go away until you get off stage. <laughs> Um, and then the right, okay, so I was watching because you know I, I really like her and then you you can talk to us about your experience working with her and opening for her show which that was an amazing opportunity for you I was watching a uh, Tiffany Haddish on an interview and she was talking about how just the stage just makes her come alive that she knows she belongs there do you feel that same way once you're there you're just like whoa absolutely Absolutely. And I'll give you a perfect example. Having a bad day. What do most women do? Have a glass of wine, get in a bubble bath, get a good book. I'm like, I need a microphone. You know, like uh, literally I've had, even when my mom passed away that same night uh, or the next morning or whatever it was, I went to the Broadway comedy club in New York um, that next day. And people were like, your mom passed away seven hours. I guess. And I just talked shit about her the whole time. It was fantastic. <laughs> I would finally get to talk about my mom in a bad way. She won't get mad. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but I know she would have loved it. I know. It's just, again, it's therapy. It's a lot of therapy. And especially if you're going through mental health things with depression, it's a good way to, to kind of vent. I mean, Ultimately, I don't want to sit there and talk about my problems every day. You know, I just want to be able to speak about and exercise my rights to talk about real things. 
How do so, you, sorry, Gabby. So how do you exactly do you prepare though for, for your shows? So do you, do you do like, um, how do I put this? So do you ever change your, I don't know what it's called, your set, right? It's called a set. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how often do you change that set? Well, I mean, for anybody who knows me, I've been using the same jokes for four years. <laughs> so it takes years. Some people use the jokes until they find the right niche of that joke. And then you build that joke. And maybe you have just a premise or a story or a theory or the whole key really is make it a, make it something that people could relate to. Don't make it like, well, you had to be there, you know, make them be there. Um, Uh, when you're telling somebody a story, I'm like, oh, my God, I went to the store and you had to be there. No, no. Bring them to the store. Show them what you bought. Like, take them through that experience where they can relate to that joke. But ultimately, yeah, you're going to write your jokes maybe a million times before it makes sense to somebody else. Um, and sometimes I do a lot of crowd work, which is what Gabby was saying, where I'm just talking to the crowd, see what sticks. Um, that's something that a lot of people can't do. And a lot of people are like, wow, Jules, you could actually improvise up there and not sweat not break a sweat for me that's easier um than writing a joke um for some people it's easier than writing a joke and then presenting it for me it's going up there seeing what sticks and then writing a premise on that on that that joke right so like building a theme and then some like mm -hmm. topic exactly exactly tiffany haddish how did you end up opening up for her that was huge Well, you know, I'm still in shock. That was a year ago. I can't say much because I did sign a non-disclosure. <laughs> yeah, but those But no, I, I can tell you what happened. I'm telling you how I got the gig. So I'm at a club, uh, at a bar yeah. here in Brickell. Uh, it was Red Bar, Monday night, 11.30 at night. Why am I out there? Working. Right? That's why I told my husband. So my husband calls me. He's like, your phone, because I had a different line uh, at the time. I had a 305 line, and then I had a 917 line for New York. And he's like, your 305 number's blowing up. You got some guy in California calling you. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, okay, whatever. He answers the phone, and it ends up being the booking agency and the managers for Tiffany Haddish. Like, we're looking for Joey Pies. So if my husband would have never answered that phone, God only knows I would have probably never heard from that gig, but my husband thought I was having an affair with someone in California and it was 1130 Eastern time. And over there was what, 830. So it was not late technically for them. So I called back the number. I'm outside the club and I'm like, hi, um, this is Julie. My husband says you're called, you know, and they're like cracking up. They're like, damn, did we just get you killed? I'm like, almost, you know. And then they're telling me, they're telling me, you know, Tiffany Haddish. And I'm like, okay, good night. Thanks for calling. I hang up. The next morning, I'm like, did that call really happen? You know, and I'm like processing it. And then eventually, um, and I, they told me they found me. They said, you're everything we're looking for. You're Latina. You're African, Latin, Afro-Latino. You speak great English. You speak great Spanish. You represent everything Miami is. And we would love to have you. And Tiffany was so much fun she's so humble she's really like a real person like she's not like diva 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 yet <laughs> you know, like, but she gave me her number i text her you know periodically she's really really nice how do they well, find I, you though but how do they find you like like YouTube i honestly 
people said my name. A lot of people recommended me. They the, the guy said, "We've seen you. We've been watching you, or whatever." Oh, big brother. Uh, keeping your Instagram public is important. <laughs> yeah. Keeping your Instagram on point, on brand, having your information readily available for people to call you, email you, or whatever to book you. That's important. Um, well, I think that was huge. And I think you should text Tiffany a little bit more, girl. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt her busy schedule. I mean, I text her when I see her being very empowered. Like she, she did a lot of stuff with like the Black Lives Movement. Um uh, I know she's dating Common. I'm like, hi, girl. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want to text her not just best for friends that. or anything, but she's extremely nice. She's extremely nice. Yeah, she seems very down to earth in her in her um in her interview. I was like, wow, it's so interesting. She used to be like, uh, she used to perform in bat mit- mitzvah, whatever. How do you say that? Bat mitzvah. Bat mitzvah. She, she actually she actually had a really trifling, you know, trying childhood. And it kind of reminded me what I went through with those few months that my family were going through those, you know, issues too. Like, obviously hers were a lot more intense, um, but uh, with her mother and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think ultimately we we bonded. We even went out to dinner uh, that night after the show. I Like, literally, I don't know how it happened. Someone said Cuban food. I'm like, oh, you want to go to La Carreta? And they're like, what? And I'm like, it's ratchet, but it's the best one in Miami, you know? And I took them and and she was so, when I got there, I didn't think she was going to be there. I'm like, she's not going to pull up. You know, the one in Little Havana on 8th Street with the street walkers. Yeah. I'm like, she's not going to pull up. And I go, and I'm like, oh, she's not here. I'm going to go wash my hands. And I go towards the back and she's like, yo, where you been? I'm like, oh, <laughs> she's so awesome. She just reminded me to have a good bond, uh, loving your sisters, you know, like just really keep pushing. I mean, honestly, he went back and helped a lot of the comedians that she knew. She absolutely did. And that's, again, why I felt like I bonded with her, because me and her kind of doing the same for the scene, you know, like for the community. I love that. Good job, Julie. It's a lot. It's a lot. People don't get it. People don't get it, but it'll stick to them. (laughs) I love that. This episode is brought to you by Ebby. Ebby is a seamless underwear membership co-founded by actress and entrepreneur Sofia Vergara. Let's face it, we all need underwear. Underwear is essential and women empowering each other is essential. I love that Ebby brings these two things together. Every time you buy Ebby's undies, they commit 10% of net proceeds to the Seven Bar Foundation. And this foundation distributes small loans to women so that they can start or grow their own business, breaking the cycle of poverty for their children and community. As Ebby gets more subscriptions, they fund more loans. So today we invite you to get 20% off your first order by using code BOSS20 at joinebby.com. That's joineby.com. Let's change the world together and empower women everywhere. How hard has it been being you being a wife and a mom and then trying to pursue your dreams? And then at some point you were working, you're still working a full-time job too, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my job, it's really a priority, right? Because I had to pay the bills. Um, as you know, COVID has kind of stopped all my shows and I was doing really great the last six months of 2019, especially after Tiffany's um, exposure um, I was doing real good up to March, I think. Uh, I probably could have had sustainable income um, to be able to leave my primary day job. <laughs> but, um, you know, pandemic came, everything's on halt. 
You know, I had a comedy special that was supposed to air at Amazon Video Prime, which is now wow. old as well. Yeah, and, and now I'm just working on my book. I'm just doing things on the back end of my comedy career that I want to, like, market together. Uh, and with the brand of Funny in Pink. Um, so the struggle as a mom, really, it's not really a struggle. I have a great partner who helps me. You know, obviously, it's, it's his children, too. Uh, <laughs> um I, my kids are extremely, extremely supportive. I remember one night I was exhausted. I was doing shows there like every night, especially when my mom passed away. It was just like, bum, bum, bum. I just want, I went in harder where most people would have slowed down. I went in harder to expose, to get really the nitty gritty of comedy pain and all that. And um, my kids were waking me up. Mom, come on, you have a show. I'm like, okay, they don't want me home. They don't want me home. Uh, like they wanted me out doing my thing because they saw how depressed and sad I would get if I wasn't doing comedy, I guess. Um, and I think that my kids are really the most inspiring. Even though I started comedy because of them, it's also the reason why I continue comedy because they're so supportive. But the only thing I worry is that that stipulation that you are a mom and you have kids and you should be home with your kids. So that's that's where my struggle is i don't really have a struggle with my day job schedule they're super uh you know supportive and flexible if i have to fly out to do shows they've been amazing my management there um my husband as well but i think it's just i don't know if it's a south florida thing for the artists and say but when you're out there people are like you know you should be home with your kids you know, and I'm like, my kids are sleeping. It's 1030 at night. You know, I made dinner. They, I ordered, if it was an early show, I ordered pizza, whatever. Or my husband would cover dinner. I mean, it's just that stereotype that you're a woman and you have kids and you should not be out here. That's the struggle. And, and getting that respect on stage is by far the hardest thing to overcome. Which I think is so sad because it almost feels like once you have, you're a mom and a wife, it's like, do your dreams have to stop? They yeah. shouldn't. And, and believe it or not, some of my family members have told me, you should stop. I'm like, but I'm about to kill Are they going to be like, hey, Julie? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot, I think it's a lot of just the stereotype and just like maybe a little bit of ignorance of like not knowing that people make great money in life, lives doing things that they're passionate about. And I, know, I mean, I'm Latina and I'm Latina and the whole man, woman role in the home is very, you know, old school. I think people need to stop thinking that only women and men can do certain things type of thing. But you're you're setting a really great example for your kids because they're seeing you hustle, be a mom, be a wife and then go out and still living your dreams. That that is worth more than Thanks. whatever anybody says. Fuck everybody. Else. Thanks, Alex. You're yeah, you're right. So what advice do you, what advice would you give other up and coming comedians? What female comedians particularly? Yeah. I mean, I wrote it down in my head earlier when I read the, I, I put it in my head. I mean, the advice I would give everybody is just start doing something that you want to do, whether it's comedy or a podcast or music just start because that is the hardest one. That first day is that hard one. My first day, I talk about it every interview, every show. Mother's Day, where I left my family after the brunch. <laughs> and I'm like, happy Mother's Day to me. That's it. And do something for yourself. Um, 
that's really the only advice I could tell anybody is just start. And then the second advice is, um, you know, try to stay sober <laughs> because you're in an environment of partying. It's a party job. You're at a bar. People are going to offer you shots. People are going to want to party with you. You know, I, I've opened with Carlos Mencia and like Carlos Mencia and his shows, people are partying and taking shots. And you don't want to look sloppy, one, because you are professional. And number two, you want to represent yourself as best as possible because you're a woman. So I guess that would be like the second thing. And I'm and I'm, I'm at fault where I'd be like, blah, 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 blah. And people are like, she's hilarious. I'm like, did you understand anything I said? <laughs> so, yeah, just stay sober, girls. Don't, uh, you know, watch your drink. That stuff happens, you know. So if somebody wanted to get into comedy, right, um, what's the first thing that they need to do? Do they just show up to the club and beg to get on stage? Like how exactly, how would they go about it? There's open mics, no? There's open mics. There's so many open mics right now with pandemic. Everything is on halt. You know, um, there's some virtual opportunities. Uh, the Miami Improv has some venue opportunities for open mics. But really, it's just showing up again. That like that that first day, you just gotta show up. Just gotta show up. I, I had a, a mentor once uh, tell me, "If you stop showing up, there will be someone else." You so know, true. Imagine uh, if Blondie stopped showing up, right? Yeah. So just keep showing up. Eventually, you'll get that gig. Okay. Yeah. I also want you to mention about you know keeping your mom's life and honoring her. And how you also started an organization to bring awareness and, you know, raise funds for colon cancer. Yeah. You want to talk about that? Absolutely. Um, you know, I made a shirt for her celebration of life that said this poop is no joke. You remember, Gabby, you were there. Mm -hmm. uh, the, back of, the back of the shirts had an emoji with the poop uh, because it's colon cancer. And the the, the back end of it is this shit's no joke, right? Um, yeah, cancer is no fucking joke. And... My mom was a fighter all the way to the end. They gave her six months, but she lasted 18 months. And in those 18 months, um, I did my best to learn about that that illness and all the people, young and old, that it affects. Um, it's the second leading cause of deaths here in the U.S. Again, people talk about breast cancer all the time. Um, I actually do a breast cancer event as well. But that colon cancer is very, it's very... Um, not talked about because here's for women, especially we have a very particular diet, especially fiber, um, fiber deficiency diet. Right. So you're thinking, oh, it's just more fiber. Oh, I'll drink an Activia yogurt. Oh, uh, I'll exercise more. I'll drink more. And really those signs are, you know, could be leading you to a serious condition like terminal cancer. So my mom, like most women, are uneducated that although you may have a high fiber diet, um, although you may exercise, you still may get colon cancer. Um, so don't dismiss it. If you're having <laughs> problems in the toilet, don't dismiss it. Just go get checked out. I actually have my appointment tomorrow for uh, my annual. So I do a mandatory that I, you know, I request, even though I'm not in this age bracket. And a lot of insurance companies won't. Uh, approve your uh, diagnosis uh, for that kind of um, screening uh, because you're not in that age bracket. I say if you have a, you know, if you have any discomfort or you feel, or maybe somebody in your family genetically has that, go get checked out. Don't wait to the last minute. You get a colonoscopy. Well, no, I'm gonna get the testing, like the blood work first. You get the blood work first. Yeah. Oh, you can detect it from blood work. Absolutely. Oh, I didn't. Me neither. Um, yeah, and then it's a bunch of different tests. Um, I do all of them, actually. 
But um, I recently lost a friend to breast cancer, Courtney Luster, uh, just a few days ago. She's 39 years old. Again, um, breast cancer is talked about all the time. You know, I this year I'm doing a third annual breast cancer event and I'm honoring uh, partial proceeds go to her family. So we're trying to just keep people. I mean, the point of my organization really, and I, and I, I don't want to say organization. I, I The point of my friends and my sisterhood and my colleagues and things like that, because I don't want it to feel, you know, that if they don't want to, if they don't believe in this movement, don't be here. You know, there's a lot of women who don't believe in this movement, who don't believe that women should be separated in comedy. I'm like, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying expose us more, you know, or give us that same equality in those gigs um, because ultimately we don't get it. So there's a lot of women who don't believe in funny and pink um, yet, but they will. <laughs> Where do you see yourself in five years? Okay. So this was like my, what is it? My vision board question. <laughs> I recently did that before the pandemic. Now after pandemic, I have no idea where we're going to be. in. <laughs> but you know, the brand of Funny and Pink is building, it's growing, and, you know, the exposure that I want to take will not just be for me, but to pass on the baton um, to the next person. So, you know, every month I try to get new girls, new women to get a real show, not just like a little, you know, little show or something. Just give them a little bit more of a professional uh, portfolio. Uh but yeah, ultimately, Funny and Pink is the goal as an entertainment agency, sort of say, type of um, business that we could provide services online and live for organizations, even for hosting and you know speakers. A lot of businesses are going to run out of ideas when all this virtual stuff goes away, so they're going to have to find ways to interact with their employees and stuff like that. And we're an entertainment company, so that's really what it's all about now. We're producing just shows and events and things like that. But in five years, I would love to see Funny in Pink uh, in New York and L.A. and then ultimately maybe Tokyo uh, because I have a joke about Tokyo. So it only makes sense. Tokyo, you know, I, do Tokyo. <laughs> I do a Tokyo joke. What's so. the Tokyo joke? Well, you have to come to my show for that. <laughs> well don't you have a show coming up can you promote that i have a great thank you so much i would love if we could do some kind of collaboration for your listeners i'll give away some tickets it's october 7th at the miami improv in the Doral city place it's at 7 p.m doors open at 6 again this is going to be our breast cancer awareness fundraiser uh partial proceeds will be going to my friend courtney luster and her family uh, that she recently uh, lost her battle with breast cancer. Um, but it's going to be a fun show. I don't think it's going to be a sad show. It's going to be a fun, you know, labs for calls. We're going to have live music with a live female band or, or performance. Uh, we're going to have, a, hopefully, a DJ uh, will be there, uh, DJ Divine. I'm hoping that she could confirm that date. And then we have Beamy Simpson from New York. Uh, she's opened with, like, Ricky Smiley and Martin Lawrence and those guys. So she's coming down from New York to be here with me. And I mean, the tickets right now on sale for 10 bucks, $20 with a VIP, get a swag bag. But really, it's about the experience. They're doing social distancing. So they're doing everything in effect, all the safety measures. Um, the Miami Improv is such a, it's really the only venue that we have to provide professional showcasing. So is it outdoors or inside? This show will be indoors this time. Yeah, we're we're on the good to go in inside this time. 
Okay. And I um wanted to ask another thing. Do you ever want to go into acting eventually, like film? You know, I, I, I think that that's the best way to work with, obviously, to get the best exposure. But I just hate my nose so much. We're going to have to do a lot of contouring. That's going to be for one deal, girl. <laughs> um i remember to, i remember reading tiffany hash's book and she says that the reason her book is called the last unicorn i'll give it away real quick she had a mole she has a mole on her face right but she had a mole that was shaped like a little pointy uh and that's she would you know you know rip it off and burn it off and and it'd keep growing and it keep growing you know because it's a mole you know yeah. so that's the reason why the last unicorn that was her biggest thing growing up was this mole so that's how i feel about my nose it just keeps growing uh, especially when you have kids, like you get that wide nose thing, you, you know. Do. It's so true. <laughs> but yeah, I've done a couple. I've done a couple video, um, commercial, um, you know, national and local TV stuff. Um, I also did a little infomercial recently for Channel Ten here, local news. Just trying to get in this. Yeah, you've dabbled. But I feel like it's it just kind of an organic kind of like transition from comedian to eventually, you know, doing it on the big screen. So, I mean, to be honest, a lot of new comedians are Instagram comedians where they do sketch like little, you know, video things. And when they go on stage, they can't do stand up. So it's like it's very hard to go to stand up. I think it'd be easier to go to, you know. To actual uh, video, videography, production, and stuff like that, and acting. We're scripted, right. right? Right. A lot of people who are, a lot of comedians who are in that Instagram, you know, chat stuff, and they're doing all their characters, when they get into the stage, they, they, they suffer because they don't know how to interact with that, that live action right then and there. Yeah, because you have people just staring at you. You're like, what the <laughs> yeah, hell? think quick. Where can people keep in touch with you? Um, handle your IG, anything you want to share? Please follow Funny in Pink. It's my organization of women and entertainers here in South Florida. We're branching to new entertainment options for singers, poets, musicians, not just comedians. We also work with a lot of organizations to help like women in our communities. Like Sharing is Caring does a lot of things for foster children and things like that. But uh, if you want to follow me personally, my handler is JB Comic, Julie Baez, JB Comic, all over Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, all that good stuff. Well, thank you, girl. I think this was wonderful. This was like so overdue. I'm honestly so proud of you. I know you're going to get to the top. I know one day we're going to be talking about like your <laughs> super, super duper stardom because I see it. And I'm here just happy that I can, you know, provide a platform for you to tell your story and to inspire others. And I'm so proud of you. No, Gabby, thank you. I know that you do so much. And you are an inspiration to all of our friends. You know that. she, All of our friends want to be Gabby Ortega. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to be Gabby Ortega. She always, she's always been that one in our group that everybody wanted to be with. You know, her, her vibe is just so contagious. So I love you very much. Thank you for having me. Visit my website, too, juliebias.com. Um, I'm going to give out some free tickets to your listeners, if that's okay. Our yeah. show is October 7th. So if they go to juliebias.com, I'm going to make an actual Girls Gone Boss link in the next couple of days before you air this uh, podcast. They click on the link, they'll get some free tickets. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you, boo. We love you. Thank you so much. And everyone, thank you for listening. And make sure to stay tuned for the giveaway. 
Till next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you. You're listening to Girls Gone Boss. Hosted by Alex and Gabby. I love you guys. Oh, yeah.